Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Piano podcast, where we are, as always, exploring the world of piano. And today, very exciting. This is、uh, we're looking at the new Trinity 2023、uh, piano syllabus. So this is grades initial to grade eight. This really is the most radical and indispensable piano syllabus ever released.、Um, so this is either going to be really, really exciting. To piano teachers and students, and I was very, very excited by this. Or people are going to be completely horrified, and it's going to be quite controversial. I've got to admit, I was also a little bit horrified, but it's also very exciting.、Uh, however, you feel about it, I think that especially all piano teachers, piano teachers teaching below grade eight level. You're all gonna really need to own all these books. It's absolutely essential, and、uh, and on the whole, I am a huge, huge fan of these books. I'm just not sure that I would actually put anyone in for the exams. But、um, yes, let's carry on with the review. So basically,、um, when I got all the books through, thank you so much, Trinity, for sending them to me. I looked first of all at the grade eight book because I I basically mostly teach more advanced students.、Uh, I do teach beginners as well. I teach all all ranges,、uh, but I do particularly enjoy teaching like the grade eight and above students. So when I opened the book, I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! A huge, huge range of music. Uh, uh, I know all my students are going to love it. I'm, I'm particularly excited、uh, as a piano teacher because."、Um, There's so much amazing music that、um, is not just like core classical stuff. So there's like pop music, there's film music, there's anime, computer game stuff. There's so many students I have who are always looking for this kind of extra stuff. And wow, here it is in this new Trinity syllabus, just absolutely superb and, and superb choice of pieces, great classical music finds,、uh, superb jazz,、um, really, really superb choice of music. But then I started looking at the other grades, the rest of the books, and I started to get quite concerned. And also,、um, there are two different types of, of books that are being released here. There's the standard edition,、uh, which are cheaper, and then there are the extended edition. I'm going to talk about this more later. But basically, I also. Became quite concerned with what was chosen to be included in the standard edition. I'll talk more about that later. Now, for this review, I basically not only looked at these new Trinity books, but I looked at all of the current ABRSM books, the LCM books, the Rock School books,、uh, Rock School Classical, and basically. Really tried to get a very comprehensive idea of how the new Trinity books compared to what the other、um, examination boards are offering. So, so I'm really, really.、Uh, my aim was to do the most comprehensive review possible, and I've spent hours and hours and hours basically sight reading. Every single piece and getting to know every single piece. I've been learning some of the grade eight pieces. This really is a very, very thorough review. Now, before. We actually get to the good stuff. Before I tell you really in detail what I think about these books, I, I, I think that we need to do a little bit of a we need to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole and look at recent trends in music education, particularly to do with decolonization and the commercial and ideological pressures that university music departments are feeling. To move towards a more pop commercial direction, and I think it's important to look at these wider topics first, 
because I think it's impossible to review this new Trinity syllabus without kind of understanding a little bit about the, the wider um, educational world uh, that, that, that is developing at the moment. So there was a very, very interesting article um, in September 2022 uh, in the Times Higher Education uh, newspaper. Uh, it's also on the website and links to everything that I refer to are going to be on the show notes uh, for this podcast episode, um, which can be found at heartofthepiano.com. Uh, if you click on podcast at the top, uh, you'll see all the show notes and the show notes will also have quite detailed bullet points about everything that I'm going to be saying. Saying, uh, in this review. So basically, September 2022, this article is um, decolonizing the music curriculum should be an adagio movement. So I'm just basically going to read out some paragraphs from this article. The idea that a music degree should involve more than studying dead white guys is hardly new. From the 1970s onwards, popular and non-Western music has increasingly been seen as equally worthy of academic study. What is new, however, is the suggestion that Western art music, a term encompassing everything from medieval plain chant to modernist composers such as Pierre Boulez, should be actively excluded from the tertiary curriculum. So tertiary curriculum being um, degree level, that, that kind of thing. So basically, pop music increasingly being seen as having value in academia and a trend to start dropping Western art music, which is, in my opinion, quite troubling. So next, uh, uh, another paragraph. In 2016, an article by Gary Engel called for the decolonization of music, suggesting that the state-funded promotion of Western art music is colonial in nature. In 2019, American musicologist Philip Yule argued that the hierarchical nature of some Western music theory could be connected to hierarchical beliefs on race. And after the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, numerous university music departments are reportedly considering substantial changes to their degree programs in order to decolonize them. So yeah, this is massively controversial. I'm just I'm going to try not to go down this rabbit hole too much. Uh, obviously, as somebody who is very passionate about classical music, I have fairly strong opinions on this. I think there is some point, there's some validity to um, to this kind of point of view. If, if you want to see more on this, um, there's that quite famous um, Adam Neely um, uh, YouTube video where he talks about all this stuff that Philip Yule spoke about, which is along the lines of his classical music racist, you know. But um, uh, anyway, continuing on uh, another paragraph. It is difficult to have a calm debate about such a sensitive subject, however, when tempers run high and arguments are simplified by social media and digital publications eager for clicks. Last year, for instance, a professor at the University of Oxford was reported to have said that the music degree focuses too much on white European music from the slave period, and that even music notation was a colonialist representational system. But his comments were distorted online to such an extent that the fact-checking website Snopes felt the need to publish an article entitled No... England's University of Oxford isn't banning sheet music. 
One speaker argued that if substantial changes are to be made to university curricula in the name of decolonization, the connection between the particular composer and colonialism should be scrutinized in detail rather than simply being subject to a blanket condemnation as from the slave period. For example, much Western art music heralds from the German-speaking states, which, prior to German unification in 1871, had little imperial ambition. So although Elgar's music may have connections with colonialism, the music of J.S. Bach and Schumann might not. So, you know, this is all very thorny. This is all, like, really difficult to pick apart. And I, and I don't want to get into it too much, but I just want to basically set the context, set the scene for what's going on in, in current trends in education, which is basically, some might call it kind of white guilt um, over colonialism and therefore kind of a, a guilt over maybe we shouldn't be teaching Western classical art music to a lot of people. It, it starts having strong connections with racism, colonialism. The, there was that scene in that film, uh, Tar, was it Was it called Tar, with Kate Blanchett? And there was that scene where there was that uh, <laughs> the student saying, oh, no, no, I, I don't listen to Bach, you know, I don't listen to music by old white cis composers, you know, it's irrelevant or something. So um, anyway, uh, uh, some more stuff from that article. At the very least, before we drop Western art music from the curriculum, we need to have a wide, thorough, open debate about it. Uh, one conference is far from enough. These questions in particular need to be addressed. First, how far should decolonization go? Some advocates argue that it means supplementing rather than replacing traditional content, but it is equally clear that others want to go further. Is it enough to teach Western art music alongside music from other traditions? Finally, to what extent should decisions about curricula be driven by students? Some of the calls for decolonization have been student-led, but universities preoccupied with student satisfaction could be at risk of making hasty decisions in their desire to please their customers. So this is all kind of really relevant because whether or not Trinity have intended this decolonization in this later syllabus, uh, all these books that I'm reviewing today, it can very much be seen through this lens of decolonization. It's very much a, a part of this trend. Um, I think it's inseparable from these kinds of issues. Now, if I read some of the marketing blurbs that, that Trinity used to, to advertise this new syllabus, this, this is what they basically said. Trinity College London believes in ensuring that the music we publish and promote in our syllabuses is relevant to contemporary musicians and reflects the global connected society in which musicians are learning today. Now, this already sounds quite a lot like some of the decolonization stuff, stuff that I've been quoting from. In our new piano books, we have significantly increased the repertoire written by female composers and composers from historically underrepresented backgrounds and will continue to increase diversity in all new publications. So, yeah, this is very much the context for this. And then more stuff. The new piano pieces, uh, blah, 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 featuring the, la the largest selection of repertoire yet from across the broadest range of styles and genres. Uh, Well-known pieces included, uh, included at each grade from classical composers, blah, blah, blah. 
jazz and Latin artists, uh, yeah, pop artists such as Ed Sheeran, Adele, Coldplay, BTS, and Pharrell Williams. Yeah, that's definitely new. <laughs> um, ABRSM have been trying to get in on this recently, but nowhere near to this extent. Films and TV shows such as Harry Potter, Star Wars, La La Land, Doctor Who and Pokemon, plus classic Bollywood films uh, such as, uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce these uh, just yet, and Studio Ghibli films such as Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke, video games such as The Legend of Zelda, Final Fantasy and Super Mario Brothers, and commissions from some of the 20th century's most exciting international composers, drawing on diverse musical influences from across the globe. New music included at every grade. So you can see that whether or not Trinity have specifically intended to launch through a decolonized lens, this is absolutely the landscape in which this is happening. And as I'm going to discuss later on, it's going to be very, very possible for now, for the first time ever, really, in in a normal standard classical uh, music exam, and I put classical in quotes, for people to actually not include any classical music whatsoever, which is sounds a lot like um, uh, what I've been quoting from uh, this article, that there is a danger that classical music could disappear completely from the studying of, of music. So I'm going to look at another article now, and this is looking specifically at that Oxford University professor. This is from The Telegraph, Musical Notations Branded Colonialist. So uh, there'll be a link to this in the in the show notes. Um, this is from um, March 2021. Uh, Musical notation has been branded colonialist by an Oxford professor, hoping to reform their courses to focus less on white European culture, the Telegraph can reveal. The Telegraph has seen proposals for changes to undergraduate courses, which questioned the current curriculum's complicity in white supremacy. And again, the Adam Neely um, video talks quite a lot about this. The link will be in the show notes. Professors said the classical repertoire taught at Oxford, which spans works by Mozart and Beethoven, focuses too much on white European music from the slave period. The documents reveal that a faculty member who decides on courses that formed a music degree have proposed reforms to address this white hegemony, included rethinking the study of musical notation because it is a colonialist representational system. And then um, another passage. A faculty checklist devised to tick off student demands notes that hip-hop and jazz are on the curriculum at Oxford, providing non-Eurocentric topics of study. But professors questioning whether the structure of our curriculum supports white supremacy have also highlighted the issue of an almost all-white faculty giving privilege to white musics. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to give my short opinions on this um, in a little bit. But uh, looking at another um, online article, this is from newmusicusa.org, Decolonizing Our Music. Basically, to kind of paraphrase, it discusses the arrival of Western music and culture with Spanish conquistadors, um, which suppressed indigenous music in the Americas, but then talks quite interestingly, talks about colonization in the modern sense that that modern digital colonization is 
run by companies with financial power that dictate musical consumption today, which is imposing a uniformity on popular tastes at the expense of indigenous and art music. This is a massive topic, and maybe I might make another separate episode about this, or many separate episodes. Having lived in other countries, particularly in Indonesia, where I saw the power of commercial organizations such as MTV historically in that country do, doing a lot to wipe out the indigenous music. This is a massive, massive topic. But because of globalization and the current world that, we, uh, that we're living in, there is an argument that actually modern pop music, modern commercial music is a form of colonialization in itself run by white Western companies. This is a giant, you know, but I'm just dropping this in to show that, you know, this, this is not a straightforward topic. So decolonizing some people take decolonizing to be, yeah, let's just have lots more pop music, a lot more pop music in, a lot of which is non-white. But in a way, this can be seen to, to, to be just as colonial. Um, anyhow, so one more article, and I'm not going to quote from this article, just kind of some bits of it up. Uh, this again is from uh, the Times Higher Education. Uh, there's going to be a link to it in the show notes. This is music departments should resist the siren song of pops of modern pop schools. Introduction, Ian Pace argues that traditional university music departments should avoid the commercial focus of modern pop schools. So he talks about the historical background of the music departments, traces the origins of the Paris Conservatoire in 1795, uh, which was basically one of the first places that focused on more professional vocational training rather than just purely theoretical. In the UK, uh, after 1945, university music degrees aimed to train up music teachers and choral directors, uh, not so much professional musicians. Uh, since the 1970s, uh, university music departments expanded to include a broader range of music genres uh, and more rigorous academic writing and research. But since 1990, new fields like new musicology and cultural studies have shifted focus away from music as a kind of more pure phenomenon to looking at the broader uh, societal issues. And he makes the point that rigorous academic studies in music are, uh, are these days being trivialized by people making broader claims on society, culture, globalization and colonialism, uh, which may lack the same level of academic rigor as, as solid uh, research into, he's implying, classical music. He also talks about marketization effects on degrees, basically points out that marketization trends have led to the introduction of vocationally oriented degrees like music technology and commercial music performance, i.e. pop, uh, pop studies, which would not have been classified as degrees in the past. He also says that the sidelining of music theory and analysis has taken away a unique academic aspect of music departments that's not covered as rigorously um, because of this. So conservatoires um, have adapted from 
non-graduate, non-degree awarding performance courses to now being full degrees uh, with uh, guidelines that allow less rigorous academic study. And the university degrees now resemble what the conservatoire courses used to be like, which were more focused on just pure performing um, with less rigorous academic work. So um, university music departments have had to adapt to declining prerequisites as well because of the huge decline on the level of music teaching in schools. Um, and when I say decline, uh, many schools do not even offer it as an option for GCSE, which is what people take when they're 16 in the UK. So because of this, uh, very often when people go to university and want to study music, they sometimes have little or no, no knowledge of notation or music theory. Um, so um, music departments, um, and and he also says that this is sort of particularly the, the the all of this all of these trends are particularly the case in the UK. So so university music departments have had to adapt to the fact that um, students very often don't have knowledge of notation or music theory. And uh, he critiques the narrow focus of vocational music degrees that lack academic depth and transferable skills. So um, he also points out that because of the, the cuts in music education in schools, this basically results in students that have minimal exposure to non-commercial music. And uh, uh, many people argued that for people to go to classical music concerts, this basically needs to have resulted from classical music having been taught in schools so that people understand and and it's like classical music in many ways is is an acquired taste and it's important to have an education in it to be able to appreciate it uh, i think there is a, a a case for saying that and in this article he points out that classical the classical western music tradition is increasingly being criticized as elitist and colonial which affects its place in the uh, in the curriculum yeah, you know, like, bear in mind that my background as a classical musician, um, I believe very, very strongly in the value of the tradition of Western classical music. Um, however, I also see it that, that it is problematic. And in, um, in previous podcast episodes, I have frequently spoken about the fact that very often when I go to classical music concerts, I'm like, well, where are all the non-white people? It's just overwhelmingly white. It's, it's amazing if anyone is there who, who isn't white. And by the way, I'm not going to talk about this a lot, but my background is not white. I'm, I'm, I don't, it's, it's very complicated, but it's basically not a white, a white background. And it's something that, you know, I had issues with when, when I was a kid. So I'm, I'm sensitive to these kinds of things. So, so um, I think that in many ways, that enables me to talk a little bit more freely about issues of race that I think sometimes white people find difficult. Um, you know, speaking as somebody who has suffered from um, uh, the issues of not being white, I feel that, that I, I'm a little bit more qualified and able to talk about this without, you know, being shot down. Anyway, so, yes, I think that the um, representation, the, the stereotypes, the, the kind of the fact that you rarely see non-white faces in 
Western classical music can be a massive issue. So yes, something absolutely has been needed to to be done about that. I think it can go too far. But um, uh, anyway, so also in previous reviews that I've done uh, a few years ago for, you know, examination boards, um, uh, such as ABRSM, ABRSM were terrible with this for quite some time. So um, basically, um, I was critical for examination boards for not having enough diversity, which includes women and non-white composers. But this new Trinity syllabus is just such a wild swing to the opposite end of the spectrum. This whole decolonization thing is such a wild swing. I'm not sure if it's now just gone way too far. But yes, it's it's the, the, the previous state of affairs where it was all just uh, white men. That, that wasn't good either. Anyway, so by the way, at this stage, uh, I'm just going to point out that later on, I'm going to review each book, each grade in, in more detail. But I'm basically just going from the, the global, you know, looking at the, the, um, the wider issues and then increasingly going to look in, in more detail until I look at the, the individual books. Uh, anyway, so yeah, the, the range of music is very, very, very diverse. And at first, I was really, really excited about this because, you know, bear in mind that I don't just play classical music. And from, from you know, when I was quite young and um, studying classical music very seriously, I was also, um, I also started playing electric guitar, rock, rock, jazz, blues, metal guitar um, when I was, um, gosh, I don't know, about 15, something like that. And, um, and my... Um, classical music teachers were really bemused and uh, uh, I, I'm not going to go as far as saying disapproving but you know they didn't get it at all and um, I yeah that you know back then you know we're talking about in the 80s it really wasn't taken seriously in the serious world of music and at the time I was really felt very passionately that it should be taken seriously but that didn't mean that I thought that people should stop studying classical music, Western classical music. Anyway, I think it's very, very healthy to include a very diverse range of music for people who are mainly studying Western classical music. Um, so I think it's great to include even some pop music. Uh, I think it's, it's particularly great to include jazz. I, I think I'm all for um, diversity. I'm all for uh, making students um, aware of as many different styles and that we do live uh, in an age uh, where a lot of music is relevant. So, however, as I briefly touched on, uh, and I'm going to just mention a little bit more again later, there is nothing in the syllabus preventing people from completely missing out classical music and actually focusing on a very narrow range of styles, which could be stuff that sounds like minimalist film music. You could basically do four pieces that all sounded like minimalist film music for an exam. This is like the decolonization of music gone to its its wildest extreme. And this doesn't sit well with me. This deeply bothers me. The, these exams offer such a massive, diverse range of music that's very, very focused on commercial popular music and music that's going to be accessible to the largest amount of people. And by accessible, I sort of mean 
in some ways simple and dumbed down that it's almost encouraging students to not include the more sophisticated classical music, especially when the standard editions are the cheaper books. And remember, they're cheaper. It's going to encourage a lot of people to buy those books because they're cheaper. Miss out such a huge amount of the classical music, which are with a massive, massive emphasis on the popular, sugary, dumbed-down end of things. You know, it brings up a lot of a lot of controversial topics, such as relativism. And sometimes I, I really get drawn in to very heated arguments with people. So by relativism, I mean, can we say that some music has more value than others? And sometimes people get very, very heated and upset when we have arguments about the value of classical music, where they're saying that their favorite piece of um electronic dance music this comes up a lot that people feel that this has huge huge value that is like equal to let's say a beethoven symphony and um, and my argument with this is um value is kind of the wrong way of putting it and that my my metaphor for this usually is like cathedrals are stunning amazing works of architecture that we can marvel at the skill and sheer architectural marvel of this thing but do we want to live in a cathedral <laughs> particularly in a cold country like england no i wouldn't want to live in a cathedral a cathedral would have no value for me in a practical sense if you are in a in a desert country uh, and you have a mud hut, that mud hut will have more value than a cathedral. But you you can't look at a simple mud dwelling and look at a cathedral and say that these are of equivalent skill. <laughs> and I'm I'm moving into a dangerous territory. And to, to I mean to me this is just kind of fairly obvious. But we live in an era, in an age where it kind of feels dangerous to start saying things like this. But but if we you know then compare the house that I'm living in, which is a modest dwelling, <laughs> you know. Um, and compare that to a cathedral. Of course, a cathedral is is a marvel on a whole different level to my house. But that doesn't mean that my house isn't important. It doesn't have any value. So um, this relativism, I think, can get a little bit out of hand where people start arguing that pop music has just as much value as a piece by Beethoven, let's say. and um, And therefore is just as deserving of study. Now, I don't think it's as deserving of study. It, and, uh, you know, if we look at other um, other areas of study, such as, let's, you know, think about Shakespeare or classical literature or art, um, I think there's a lot to be said for um, studying Shakespeare in school. Because if we don't study Shakespeare, it can be just such a wild disconnect, such a huge uh, culture shock, if you want to put it that way. If you've not had exposure to Shakespeare and you go and go to the theatre and listen to Shakespeare, it's probably going to go completely over your head and um, very, very difficult to appreciate. But the beauty of studying it is that you get used to the language and you get used to just the depth of what's going on in it, that you, you 
develop a really profound appreciation of just the sheer amount of psychological depth and nuance in Shakespeare's plays that you can't compare to anything equivalent that, that would be like the equivalent of pop music. So, you know, if you compared it to, I don't know, a TV series and say, well, you know, it, it has equal value, especially if it's, let's say, a TV series that is not made by a white man. But no, you know, to most people, I think it's fairly obvious that Shakespeare has is worth studying because it's got a lot of depth. And it's worth studying in school because it opens up our ability to appreciate it. And it's the same with, with art. You know, it's unfortunate that uh, the, the history of, of Western culture is kind of by definition white and colonial, but it's a, it's a living, breathing tradition that, that, that has richness, that, that has value. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, it's very dangerous to just throw that away in favor of things that are popular uh, and easy to appreciate that happen to be non-white. And another point that I have is to ask, why does pop and rock music need to be studied anyway and legitimized by academia? Um, surely this is missing the whole point that it is vernacular music, not formal, serious, studied music. The whole point is that it is vernacular and people make it by not studying it. There's this weird trend that everything has to become formally um, recognized by academia. You know, I, I played rock music. Um, I learned jazz. Um, when you look at the whole history of rock, pop, jazz music, uh, the whole point of it is that it is the music of the people made by people who don't have an education. That's kind of the whole point of it, surely. So... Personally, I find it weird that music degrees, that, um, that education in schools feels that education somehow becomes irrelevant and it, it ideologically troublesome if it doesn't include all, all this kind of popular vernacular music. But to me, well, isn't that the whole point of it, that it's it's not studied. That's that's what it's there for. So anyway, that's kind of just what I feel about it. Now, you know, at the same time, I, I am open-minded and I'm not saying don't include it in um, exams, but just keep it in perspective, my opinion, you know. So another thing that, that I feel, um, and I feel this, I felt this increasingly looking at, at more and more of the, the Trinity books as I was looking at them, um, there's so much, so much pop music, so much um, jazz, rock, pop, film music, stuff that just clearly isn't classical. And what is clearly classical? My God, that's just for a completely different podcast episode. Uh, I could talk quite a lot about that, but this episode is not the, the time for that. But um, for quite a long time, most examination boards have done rock and pop exams. Uh, rock School, RSL, are the leaders in this, and they do excellent, excellent rock pop exams. And in fact, Trinity themselves 
have been doing specifically rock pop exams. They've been a bit of a mystery and I've tried looking into them and never really quite understood what they were about. Um, I think that you couldn't do them on a piano, which put a lot of people off. You needed to do them on a keyboard. I like the fact that the um, the RSL, uh, Rock School, um, so from now on I'll just uh, refer to them as RSL, but that, that's Rock School, the, the examination board. Um, I like the fact that the RSL's rock pop exams you can do with a piano. So uh, I've always felt it was a shame that Trinity did rock pop, but you needed to actually have a, a keyboard and not a piano to use those. I don't understand why they didn't just make a separate rock pop exam if people really want to look at uh, rock and pop to this degree and you know I'm, I'm sure i'm going to talk about this later on in this review but you can't really compare the difficulty level in my opinion of rock and pop music um, in an exam playing it to playing classical music it's like comparing apples and pears is that the expression because actually they do seem quite similar it's like chalk and cheese i i'm very very troubled that somebody could take a grade and get a particular mark playing only pop music, and that is supposedly equal in value in 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 the grade in in the achievement in the qualification to somebody at that same grade who's done all classical music. To me, they are not the same, and they are not in any way uh, equivalent at the same difficulty level that they just they're just not they're just completely different this this bothers me um so um so by the way uh, i keep going on about it so i should kind of point out that trinity do say that you should aim to play a balanced program and uh, it's never really defined what a balanced program is but to most people, I think this will imply, uh, or, or, historically, this has implied Baroque, classical, romantic, and uh, contemporary. And here, like the vast majority of each uh, New Trinity book is just contemporary, um, the vast majority of it. So when they say that the, the program should be balanced, it's not really made very clear in the new books what balanced is. But I think to most people, it's like, well, include classical music. But I, I already sent a message to Trinity about this and said, well, what, is, what, is, what are the consequences if somebody clearly does not do a balanced program and they just do, let's say, four pieces of film music or four pieces of pop music, which is possible in the new syllabus? And the answer is, there are no consequences. There is no penalization for that. So to me, that is like, well, just very clearly encouraging. Uh, it, it's like letting, uh, um, you know, another analogy I have is, let's say you've, you have a, a, a four-year-old and you offer your four-year-old, do you want ice cream? Do you want sweets? Or would you like a balanced meal? Uh, generally, that four-year-old is going to go for ice cream and sweets every single time. And um, I do think that it's important to, uh, if we've got a, a young child, for their health, to basically keep giving them balanced, nutritious meals and not just ice cream and sweets all the time. And I do think that there is a direct equivalent in music. And looking at most of the grades, it's just like a a massive, overwhelming abundance of sweets. 
uh, with very, very little of the nutritional <laughs> stuff, particularly in the standard edition books. So yes, this, this, this is why this new syllabus feels deeply, deeply flawed to me. I also have a little bit of an issue. Um, I've, it's, it's been really, really good to see across all the boards that in recent syllabuses, there's been an increasing diversity of classical non-white composers. And I feel that in this year's Trinity, this has gone backwards. It's like, well, what happened to all the, the non-white classical composers? They've suddenly really, really gone down. They're barely represented, I guess, because Trinity have spent so much um, uh, of the resources looking at, at diverse non-white, non-classical music. But, you know, my point is like the same as before. I would love to see more non-white faces in concerts, not just actually in the audience, but playing the music. So it's not enough just to feature diverse composers of uh, commercial and non-classical music because it's not normalizing that classical music is not just by white composers. I mean, there's a commendable range of women composers to to a, a crazy degree, really. Um, and, you know, this brings up a lot of uh, arguments that, uh, uh, you know, should women be represented to such a degree that is so non-representative of actually how many women compared to men were actually making music. You know, the, the way I feel about this is like, um, yeah, you know, I'm for, uh, what, what's the word for it? Yeah, I'm for, I'm for positive discrimination, where you, even though um, women composers were not um, really visible for the most part, for most of the, the Western classical music tradition, why not actually really ramp up the representation of obscure women composers to make girls and young women studying music feel that, yes, yes, uh, this is normal. Women uh, compose and make music. Yes, this is a completely normal thing. Uh, I'm, I'm all for that. And, and again, although there weren't many non-white classical composers, I would love to see more non-white classical composers represented so that in our current world, uh, non-white people feel, yes, I could be a classical composer. I'm, I'm troubled that this has taken a backwards direction in this new Trinity syllabus. But also, I, I see a, a, another huge, huge problem with including such a giant range of pop and rock music. So I was talking before about not really understanding why there's so much of a need to legitimize pop and jazz by studying it. And um, on a related kind of um, subject to that, you know, a really big issue that I have with the, um, the new Trinity syllabus's overwhelming emphasis on pop and jazz is that in many ways, kind of the whole point of pop and jazz is that it's improvised. It's, it's not made by reading sheet music. It has flexibility. When someone makes a pop song, even if they're reading from sheet music, which can even be, you know, all the dots or just a lead sheet, invariably there's small adjustments. There's adjustments in, in like rhythmic patterns, in voicings. It's, it's never just exactly as it is um, written down. 
I mean, this is especially the case in jazz, but, but you know, in, in pop as well. Um, so, you know, it, 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 in my opinion, anyone who's going to do pop and jazz in any kind of real world way needs to have the ability to improvise, uh, adjust the voicings, adjust the textures, uh, change the rhythms, and especially in, in the melody as well, because uh, melodies in, in pop in particular are not really sung in a way that can easily just be written down. So the fact that this new Trinity syllabus has such this overwhelming amount of, of, of rock, pop, jazz, but is all written down and that you get marked specifically in the syllabus that a large degree of the the marks that you get are from accuracy this is not the 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 point of rock pop and jazz this is actually against the spirit of rock pop and jazz so so this is a a massive problem in having an exam where you learn everything from written sheet music and then play in a in a genre which is not a genre where that is on the whole appropriate this is a massive massive problem with it um so this is why uh, i said before that really in my opinion there needs to be a separate exam for rock and pop that ideally actually allows you to make a lot of these adjustments. Now, um, I also think that anyone who is specifically interested in rock and pop should really just focus on RSL's rock pop exam. But even that kind of still marks you on accuracy and doesn't really let you do improvising and, and, and adjusting it. Uh, in my opinion, there needs to be a rock pop exam that allows you the uh, relative freedom um, in the same way that, for example, ABRSM have jazz grades um, from grade one to grade five. And there, you know, they give you the written music, but you are expected to pull it around and make it your own. Why is there not an equivalent thing for, for rock and pop? That would be great. And then all this stuff in, um, you know, like half of each book um, in the New Trinity syllabus could be that, that you could pull around and, and make it your own. I, I don't get this weird hybrid of classical rigor with um, rock pop genres to this degree. It's, it's just weird. It, it doesn't work for me. Um, you know, having said that, it's valuable for people who are classical, people who are not so comfortable with improvising, to have fun written down pieces in different genres for them to enjoy, just not to kind of structure um, a whole exam around. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, also, you know, this would open a little bit of a can of worms that, you know, if you did have a rock pop exam where people uh, were had the freedom to uh, pull things around a little bit, you'd obviously need specialized examiners for that genre. And so maybe that would be, you know, quite tricky to implement. But uh, but I do not think that massively expanding uh, what was previously a classical exam and making it possible to for people to um, overwhelmingly do um, pop rock pieces within that um, that format, I don't think that's a good direction because it's it's that's not what the genre is, you know. Um, anyway, another problem with all the pop arrangements, and particularly at lower grades, is that it's very very difficult to take pop songs and make them sound good in ways that 
aren't either really difficult to read or really difficult to play because music that is generally improvised or not not read from sheet music is difficult to put back into sheet music having said that i do think that trinity on the whole particularly particularly at the lower grades have not done a great job of arranging the pop songs uh, i did do a review of abrsm's um recent publication of books only focusing on pop arrangements and i had a similar a similar criticism of those books however trinity's arrangements and you can see this directly when you compare them to abrsm's books which are grades 5 and below abrsm's arrangements are much better than trinity's arrangements and even abrsm's arrangements i was quite critical about but some of them worked okay and i felt that you know it's a, it's a it's a good direction to go in i wouldn't i would be upset if abrsm allowed you to take a normal exam using only pop songs <laughs> which it seems to me is what trinity is doing here but as a list c piece or as a fourth piece you know as a as a fourth piece to have in your diverse performance only exam yeah I, I absolutely include a pop song but i think that the trinity's arrangements are really clunky and um i think that really what what trinity have done particularly a lot is just to take a tune take the chords have the chords um very simply um like they just play those solid chords or and, and and just not really do much else with it it's it's like a very unadventurous unskillful uncreative way of arranging into pop music that just really isn't going to work with pop music and again is why i think that it should be a separate exam because um i think that even people at the lower grades if they are taught in this way can look at a lead sheet a lead sheet being just the melody and the chord symbols and being able to improvise a left hand or a chordal thing that goes with those chord symbols that otherwise would be quite difficult to read from sheet music so yeah as you move up through the grades um the pop songs can become a little bit more successful but even then in the high grades they're not always great like actually even grade 7 grade 8 some of them can be really terrible in in my opinion because classical arrangers don't really understand pop as a genre well enough to be able to do this in in my opinion it is nice however that i would say most of the pop songs that are in the trinity syllabus are generally in the same key as the original and so it's possible to play along quite large sections of it with the original although often they go at quite ambitious speeds but um I'll I'll come back to to that issue of everything being ambitious and challenging uh in a minute um another thing um a a strong common criticism that I've had particularly of um ABRSM's jazz inclusions in their syllabus not not the current one the, the current abrsm one is much better but um in previous abrsm um reviews i've spoken about this kind of what i scathingly call pedagogical jazz all done by similar people like uh, like christopher norton which just doesn't sound like authentic real jazz to me it sounds like 
Yeah, and here I am going to say it sounds like music written by white people who who don't really um, deeply feel the the living, breathing tradition of of jazz, and it sounds like it's just basically just written for ABRSM exams. I love, I love on the whole the jazz that is in this new Trinity syllabus. It's really like proper jazz, uh, not just really superficial stuff written with with um, pentatonic scales. It's it sounds like stuff that really belongs in the jazz world. Um, so much fantastic jazz um, in in this new Trinity syllabus. Again, though. I think that for people who are really interested in jazz, um, why not just actually study jazz and do um, grades in jazz? So, you know, ABRSM do um, grades from um, uh, one through to five. And um, LCM, London College of Music, do all the way up to grade eight. I really should review that at some point. I need to uh, take a proper, proper look at those at some point. And in fact, LCM also do... um, diplomas in jazz piano and other instruments and I really really need to look at that at some point so yes it's lovely that you get fantastic jazz in this new trinity syllabus but at the same time for people really interested in jazz I would recommend look at doing a um, a, a grades and diplomas in jazz piano and speaking of which I do find it a little bit odd that trinity for years have included the ability to have improvising as part of the um, oral tests instead of like the more traditional oral tests that ABRSM do um, and, and sight reading and, and things like that, that, that you are actually just able to improvise. I, I think this is great. Um, they don't often explain a lot about this, and I'm not sure how many people do it, but I think this is really healthy. And yet, suddenly having the new syllabus such a huge range of music that really traditionally is improvised or improvised to some degree with no room for that being possible within the exam. That's very strange to me. If you're going to allow improvising in the in the oral test and sight reading part of the exam, it's why not allow that in the in the core part of the exam as well, where it's weird that that you would be doing pop music with no improvising. So anyway, so moving away from these broader topics towards like actually what's in these books, there is a huge range of music which will find a very wide appeal. Um, And for the most part, they are really fantastic, fresh finds. And I do really, really like um, uh, including in the classical music. I love that there's such obscure amazing finds of music that that I would never have come across in a million years, especially by the women composers. There's some really amazing obscure finds in here, as well as having some opportunity for more of the core repertoire. You've got to really look in in the other books. Um, There there are alternative pieces uh, that you can get from, from extra books and from going back and looking at the 2021 syllabus. But, you know, in this, in this um, series of books, I love there's such fresh, unusual finds um, across all the genres. I love that. Uh, keeps my dopamine happy to be like, oh, wow, this, this piece I've never come across. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's great. It's, it's a great selection of diverse, rewarding music for all tastes. 
And um, like, like I said at the very beginning of the review as a, in the introduction, as a piano teacher, I'm very, very excited that there is so much diverse music for people of all tastes. Like, you know, I've had quite a few adult um, piano students who are really interested in game music and um, film music and... Uh, you know, and, and I, I, I think it's uh, admirable that they've included Bollywood music. Uh, for a long time, I've thought that, that um, examination boards should be including more music like that from different cultures, um, especially depending on where you are in the UK, depending on the demographic. I think that's, that's really admirable. But, but yeah, as a, as a piano teacher, I'm very excited because this is going to help me make money. <laughs> so from a, a purely you know, commercial point of view, from a making money uh, perspective, I'm going to be able to find more students. Uh, and I think from my perspective, particularly more adult students, I do teach a lot of adult students, because there's so much music in the syllabus that's going to really appeal to adult students um, that, that is outside of the normal classical uh, stuff. And also adult students um, really are massively, massively motivated by grades and exams. I get a lot of my adult students from YouTube videos that I do, which are performances and tutorials of stuff that, that, that are from the grade books. So this is just going to make it so much easier for me to make money and to keep students engaged. Um, and so for this reason, I think all all piano teachers need to go out and basically buy every single one of these extended edition books, assuming that you teach from the initial to grade eight range. Yeah, you, you all need to basically run out and buy these books because your, your students are going to love these pieces. And, and you know, not only just the, the people who don't want to do classical music, but for example, I find that almost all of my classical students have weaknesses in rhythm. Um, almost all classical students have have we, uh, rhythm as their weakest thing, and um, doing jazz and rock and pop is amazing for developing rhythm, and especially in these books because these rhythms are so challenging. But I'll I'll come to that in a minute. Um, but also, you know, I I do think that people who are only studying classical music should be familiar with playing music in other genres. I, I do believe this. <laughs> so, so for the teachers and then for the students, yes, I think that these books are amazing. You all need to go out and buy these books, whether it's teachers having the entire range or whether you're a student at a particular grade level. In my opinion, it's a no-brainer. You need to go and buy this book, the, the, the extended edition, if you can afford it, go get it straight away. It's a no-brainer even if you're not going to take the exam. And I would say, I'm not going to recommend these exams, but I'll, I'll come to that later. Um, but just as, as graded anthologies, if you want to put it that way, of like a selection of pieces ordered by grade in a diverse um, range of styles, oh my God, these are indispensable. They're amazing. You just need to go out and buy these. And I'm very, very excited about them. Um, having this basically, and, and, and I'm very, very excited about these for that purpose. Something else that bothers me is that there's a wild, wild range of difficulty levels generally within each grade. It really struck me when I was sight reading through every single book. These are mostly 
very, very challenging, ambitious pieces, mostly. I've been learning some of the grade eight pieces, and these are some of the most technically difficult grade eight pieces that I've ever learned from any examination board. But this is kind of true across almost all of the grades. However, there are also ridiculously easy pieces within each grade as well. It's, it's, a, it's a dizzying, really, assortment of, of difficulty levels, which makes it hard for me to take these seriously as qualifications. And, and again, not, not just only because of the, the huge um, degrees of difficulty levels, but because, like I said, you know, if you pass your exam um, having done only film music or having done only pop music, it's a very, very different set of skills to doing classical it 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 it's, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. If someone says, "Oh, I've got grade whatever Trinity," but now that just doesn't mean anything to me because it, it depends on well, was it um, a performance one? Was it an online one? Did it include all of the, the the scales and the technical stuff? But also, was it easy film music? Was it the stuff at the easier end? Was it the more difficult end? It's it's so diverse that the qualification, I think, really just doesn't mean anything anymore. And one of my major, major criticisms as I, as I go through the individual uh, books, which I'll do um, uh, later on, is that particularly at some of the higher levels, such as grade seven, there are so many pieces with just such little musical substance that they are just so musically superficial that... You know, if someone did grade seven doing, uh, I don't know, something Baroque, something classical, something romantic, well, they could also do it with either three or four pieces, just with very, very basic minimalist film music. The, the qualification just doesn't mean anything anymore. I see them now as, and I'm, I'm, you know, this is going to sound strong, but I mean this, as worthless, as a proof of any kind of skill level in the classical world. So... Um, that's really sad. But that doesn't mean that I, I'm not recommending these books. Um, so another thing that jumped out at me, I was shocked. I think it's criminal that from grade six upwards, Trinity in these new books basically do heavy, heavy editorializing of Baroque and early classical music. And what this means is in Baroque and early classical music, Composers did not put slurs, articulations like staccatos and, you know, that kind of thing. This wasn't a, a, a dynamics, uh, all this kind of thing. That This is not in Baroque music and early classical music. This has been kind of a little bit of a, a criticism of ABRSM, that they do editorialize grade six upwards, um, Baroque and classical, but they do make it very clear in the notes, in, in like the footnotes, they say these markings have been put in by ABRSM. They weren't in the original. The last Trinity syllabus, 2021, didn't have, I, I think it didn't have any editorializing like this. It was it was Urtext. So Urtext is like the edition that you buy that is as close as possible to the original manuscript, to the original edition, uh, to what was published in, in the composer's time. 
Um, and I remember having a conversation with with somebody from Trinity, basically when when I phoned up Trinity wanting to review the 2021 syllabus. I remember having a conversation with someone who felt really passionate at Trinity, saying, "Yeah, we're we're very proud of the fact that at these high levels, you can take our." Baroque and early classical music more seriously because it's urtext. It's not like ABRSM where they editorialize it. And now I'm scandalized. I'm shocked that in Baroque and early classical, in these new books, not only is it heavily, and I mean heavily, editorialized with with so much phrasing and articulation that I'm, I'm not sure I always really agree with, but it doesn't say anywhere in the notes, in the footnotes, it doesn't say anywhere, as far as I can see, that that this has been put in by Trinity and is not in the original. That I'm shocked. I'm, <laughs> you, I'm sure I've got that across by now. I am really shocked at this. This is deeply, deeply problematic to me. Also, um, it, it troubles me that in the standard books, they on the whole, don't include any Baroque or classical, classical with a big C, as in pre-Romantic. In almost every single standard book, they only include from Romantic onwards. Yes, that doesn't mean that students can't do those other pieces, but a lot of people are only going to be able to afford the, the standard edition. And they're setting a dangerous precedent for further wiping out a huge amount of classical music as well as it being wiped out in schools. I'm, I'm deeply bothered by this. So in terms of the, um, the technical side of things, the scales um, and, um, you know, all, all that side of things, I don't see any differences in the syllabus to the previous syllabus. There's a little bit of a change in the technical exercises in that it seems that this current crop of Trinity's technical exercises seem to be more towards the the popular music end of things or the the sort of film musicy end of things. So um, so you can choose now between um, the uh, the technical exercises in the 2021 book or the uh, the the new book. Uh, you, you can choose from either. And by the way, in case I've not fully 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 made this clear, what you've got. You've got the 2021 to 2023 book that, uh, according to Trinity, is is now valid indefinitely. So you can continue to use that book as your only resource for exams indefinitely. Uh, I don't know if that means literally now forever or until they tell you otherwise. But like next year, you could still just take your exam with everything from that book. Uh, you can also mix and match. You can do um, uh, some pieces from that book, some pieces from the new book. You can do so, uh, uh, either technical exercises from the old book or from the new book. You can mix and match. And so for that reason, the syllabus for the technical side of things is exactly the same. There's, there's no change. And you can also use the pieces that were in the extended edition 2021 book, which was basically a downloadable PDF. Uh, there are also alternative choice pieces um, that are in uh, that are not in either of the books, but but that are in um, separate books um, uh, that they list in the syllabus. So this really does mean the most giant range of pieces that you can choose from. But like, like I keep saying, in the current book, an overwhelming amount of them are now in the non-classical style. 
So, yeah, like I was saying before, there are huge extremes of um, easy and difficult in each grade. Um, the addition of so much pop and jazz really does mean that the rhythms in particular can be incredibly challenging. And I'll talk about this in a little bit more detail in some of the individual books. But some of the cross rhythms in particular in uh, grades below grade eight, I'm like, wow, that's really, really ambitious. And, and there's one piece in particular in grade eight that's got the most challenging cross rhythms that I don't think I've ever seen to that degree in any um, syllabus uh, up until now. It's going to be interesting just how people cope with, with these very, very challenging rhythms. I mean, yeah, you know, this is a side effect of moving towards having so much pop and jazz. And you can see this when looking at the RSL exams. The RSL exams are often much more difficult than their equivalent classical um, ABRSM and Trinity LCM exams because the rhythms are just so much more difficult um, because it is a vernacular style, meaning that most people who play pop, uh, rock, jazz are not reading the rhythms written down. So to write them down makes it quite difficult to, to read them. So, yeah, and also just to make absolutely clear, in the 2021 to 2023 um, Trinity book, buying the extended edition didn't give you extra pieces over the standard edition if you already had books from previous years. It just the, the extended edition basically just included some of the pieces that had been in previous years. This year, the extended edition gives you more pieces. So to me, it's just a no-brainer. You, you need to get the extended edition because the extra pieces that you get on the whole, um, with very few exceptions across the grades, are just superb and absolutely worth having. So um, yeah, the books themselves are gorgeous. They're very, very high quality. They have this lovely matte um, cover, very high quality. The pages themselves are very, very high quality. Um, there, there's... Um, uh, a lovely kind of cream color. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, they, they come across as very, very professional. They're bound very, very well. So they're, they're very thick books. You're going to need to, you know, keep um, opening them and pulling them back to, to, you know, keep them open. But they're bound very, very well. So I think they're going to last you quite a while. Unlike, um, I think, the, the current ABRSM book, my grade eight book, the, the spine came off, I think, within a few days of me using it. These books are very, very high quality, worth the money. Because, yeah, they're not that cheap, but, but they're going to last you some time. And also the typesetting this year is much better than in previous years. So typesetting, uh, what I mean by that is um, the way that the, the sheet music, the notation is laid out. This can vary depending on, you know, like um, whether you use, for example, Sibelius or Finale or what the, there are fonts that you get when you do uh, music uh, notation. Um, and and there, there's all kinds of other different ways that, that this can be done. What, one criticism that I had of the 2021 um, Trinity syllabus typesetting was it looked a bit like it had just been done with, with Sibelius default settings. So there were things about it that just looked a little bit cheap. And for example, uh, finger numbers were way too small, which is kind of just what happens if you use the Sibelius default settings. Well, in the 2023 um, uh, books, the typesetting is very, very professional. There's only um, a few times in 
some of the more advanced grades, some of the higher grades, where there's a few things about the layout, the rhythmic layout, that that aren't quite right. But on the whole, it's not bad. It's 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 pretty good. Um, if you pay for the extended edition, you get access to um, all the recordings of all of the the different pieces. On the whole, these are excellent. They are really, really excellent. Some things about them bother me. I mean, you know, they're, they're not all amazing, but on the whole, they're pretty good. One thing that really bothered me, I was interested in how closely they keep to the, the metronome markings. So what I did is I got like a, a metronome that's on my mobile phone. And what you can do is you can tap it. You can like tap um, on your phone to find out what the metronome marking is. So as people are playing, I can tap on the metronome and, and find out what the what metronome marking they are playing at. Now, there, there was one piece in particular that, that I was learning. And um, bearing in mind that it actually does say when you are recording for your um, online exam, the use of metronomes or other timekeeping assistance is not allowed. It became very, very obvious that whoever was playing this particular piece, and it's like one of the more jazzy, um, it was hoedown, which sort of needs quite quite a, a steady tempo. It was really obvious that whoever was playing must have been playing to a click track. Nobody plays staying exactly on exactly the tempo marking that was marked in the book without fail for every single bar for the entire piece. So it bothers me that that some of these recordings have obviously been done to a click track, which makes it completely unrealistic for anyone to to emulate when they're playing along with it. So that that really bothers me. Another thing that um, that I like is that um, very often uh, all the uh, audio recordings that, that have been included in Trinity and ABRSM, they're generally not credited. We generally don't know who played them. But in this Trinity um, book, they are all credited. I like that. Well, well done, Trinity. Um, you also get um, lots of notes at the beginning of each book that, that tell you in a bit of detail about the piece, a little bit of the background information, things to look out for. On the whole... Um, the, 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 these have been done to quite a high level. And, and by the way, ABRSM get very greedy about this because they, they basically um, make a separate book for this and charge you for it. So I, I like it when LCM and Trinity include this in the book. It's, it's less greedy. Although sometimes, you know, the, the, there is a little bit of nonsense uh, spoken in some of the notes, um, particularly, um, I, I don't know why, but, but um, where, uh, in particular when I was looking at the notes, a few times people were just talking absolute nonsense about modes, stuff that I was just like, are they looking at the same piece I'm looking at? Weird. But on the whole, the notes are, are pretty good and quite useful. And, and I do approve of the fact that um, all these other examination boards, <clears throat> Trinity, LCM, they are basically bringing out books where which include the the scales, the technical exercises, and yes, in in the um, the Trinity, you've got to buy the extended edition to get all the scales and and all that stuff. But 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 yeah yeah, it's it's excellent value to include um, the the scales, the technical exercises, um, all of these extra additional notes. Unlike ABRSM, who do just seem to be greedy and money grabbing of like having all these separate books for scales, some, some of which are scandalously small books, you know. So 
I do think that what you get for your money uh, with these Trinity books is excellent. And, you know, for the extended books, they might seem a little bit expensive for... Um, £14.45 is what the initial book costs and £32.95 is what the, the grade 8 book costs. That might seem like quite a lot, but but the sheer amount of stuff in these books and, and that for the most part in most of the books, these are going to be pieces that you've not come across. They're so beautifully curated. They are, for the most part, excellent pieces and that they are so diverse and so useful for your students and so enjoyable and such high quality books they really are value for money it might seem expensive for teachers to go and grab the the entire lot at the at at the time of recording this you could pre-order them with 20 percent off the the entire lot which which isn't too bad um for buying the whole lot if you're a teacher and and i'm going to guess that it probably is po- uh, possible to still carrying on get them with 10 percent or 20 percent off depending on on where you look for them but but yeah if you are a piano teacher it's just a no-brainer you you really need to buy these so you know it does bring in some wider topics that as a piano teacher i basically have two hats um there's me as a piano teacher who wants to make money. There's me as a piano teacher who wants my students to have fun and enjoy learning an instrument. And there's me as a piano teacher that if people are learning classical music, really wants to steer them in a direction that makes them the best pianist that they can be and to really gain a, a deep appreciation of classical music. Those three things don't necessarily all pull in the same direction. So these Trinity books, certainly from the first perspective of making money, they're brilliant. They're amazing. Oh, I'm going to be so excited. Yeah, and and and, and obviously the, the second one uh, falls very much in line with that, that if people are enjoying the pieces, they're more likely to come and be students. They're more likely to remain being students. Uh, the, the lessons are going to be more fun. So yeah, that's great. However, as a piano teacher... With my students who want this, so I don't force this on all my students, but with students who want to be good classical musicians, there is also that kind of giving people what's good for them. Um, So like in the analogy before, it's like with a four-year-old, you don't just feed them sweets and ice cream all the time. Now, one thing that that bothers me is that the standard edition uh, in this new Trinity syllabus, the, the cheaper books, they generally, for the most part, include the music that most people are going to enjoy the most. So that's great, but not necessarily including the most educationally useful. So from using, you know, wearing my hat as someone who wants to provide the best education in classical music, this really bothers me. And also means that an awful lot of people are going to be taking these exams pulled by the lure of ice cream and sweets without even had having had the choice of the nutritious meals like not even having baroque and uh, and, and classical music um in the uh, classical with a big c in, in the standard edition this is deeply problematic for me and so now having compared in every grade having looked at all the the different boards uh in the uk lcm uh london college of music and now absolutely my choice for classical exams without a shadow of a doubt in pretty much every single grade they are by far 
the choice to go for for people who are basically wanting classical music solid enjoyable rewarding pieces really well curated lots of unusual choices good representation of women and non-white composers um, with a wide range of styles including some ethnic styles no there's no rock and pop really in, in that but that's fine there's separate exams for that abrsm um, at the moment, they're, they're okay. They're, they're, they've got some quite good selection of pieces, but there are wider range. Of, there's a wider issues of trust with ABRSM. There's a whole load of, of other issues to do with them as an organisation that I'm not going to go into in this particular review. But but a lot of people are avoiding ABRSM at the moment. I have some trust issues with them at the moment. But but yeah, the, the syllabus is is pretty good. And Trinity is absolutely not my choice for exams for anyone basically really wanting to focus in any way, shape or form on classical music. If Trinity changed their requirements to something like what ABRSM used to do with list A, list B, list C, where list A was like Baroque, list uh, B was um, um, classical or or romantic as it became in later years, and then List C became the the contemporary, then I would absolutely jump straight back to Trinity. If Trinity made it so that you had to do two out of your three pieces, um, basically like Baroque or classical and romantic, and your third piece was contemporary, <clears throat> I would absolutely, completely, 100% recommend Trinity. But the fact that they let you do whatever you want in the most unbalanced way possible without any penalization for doing that means that taking the exams are now, in my point of view, completely worthless for anyone vaguely considering them as a classical qualification. Um, however, having said that, if um, if I have students who, who are not really that interested in classical who just need a little bit of motivation like, like I'm thinking of some adult students and they just want a bit of motivation to learn some pieces not that interested in classical um, yeah Trinity would be great um, absolutely fantastic uh, particularly with the online performance exam where you didn't have to do all the other technical stuff I, I think there's value to that dare I say that if um, teenagers want to take some exams to get their UCAS points. And for people in other countries, that basically gives you points that go towards university entrance, even if you're not studying music. It's it's like, you know, extracurricular stuff. Um, for students who want an easy way, an easy, fun way of getting points and, and a qualification that seems like it's quite impressive, then yeah, Trinity have given you a an easy, fun way of doing it by kind of devaluing the whole thing, in, in my opinion. But for anyone who's, who's serious about studying classical music, LCM is now my absolute like recommended go-to examination board for that. And their pieces are really enjoyable as well. Like uh, I think LCM are outstanding at the moment for, for classical. And when I say classical, I mean classical very, very loosely by including all kinds of contemporary music in all kinds of different genres that that more or less feel like they are under a, a classical umbrella. It's also interesting to note that LCM allow way more time for their exams for what you pay for than both Trinity and ABRSM. So for example, let's take grade grade one. Trinity exams are 11 minutes, ABRSM exams are 12 minutes. 
LCM is 15 minutes. If we look at grade four, Trinity 16 minutes, ABRSM 15 minutes, LCM 20 minutes, and so on and so on. On the whole, LCM allocate more time. So um, it's just another kind of sign that LCM are, are giving you a little bit more value for money with that. And, and I love that the LCM books are very, very high quality. They give you all the scales, all the technical stuff um, uh, and so on. But, you know, having said that, like I said before, these Trinity books are indispensable as graded anthologies. And so, yes, everyone absolutely needs to have these. And so, well done if you've listened to, to all of this review so far. And um, I'll leave it here for part one. Part two is going to be a review of the individual grades. Um, including the initial. And if you go to the show notes, I'll include um, timestamps so that if you're interested in in particular grades, you can go straight to that timestamp in the episode. So um, uh, see you uh, in in part two if you're interested for that. Otherwise, I will see you in um, uh, future episodes. I have a lot of exciting podcast episodes planned. So um, please do subscribe and like us on your platform of choice and leave comments. And uh, take care. Happy practicing. Uh, See you at the next one. Take care. Bye.